Can we give a hallelujah to the one that made us free? Hallelujah. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord Jesus, we want to be still before you now. We want to stand in awe of you, and your word and your great love for us. Father, I pray that you would remove barriers within our hearts this morning, within our minds, remove those things that might be occupying our minds beside you. Would you enable us to focus on you? Lord, we want to worship you with our ears as well and to hear from your word. So Holy Spirit, come. We ask for your blessing upon us. In your name I pray. Amen. Transformed. Living God's way. I wanted to remind you that this is our theme, focal point for 2023. And if you could sum up the year ahead of us, you might say that we're going to take a hard look at the things Jesus taught us about how to live, and then we're going to ask ourselves, are we following God's example that we're instructed to do in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2? A true, life-saving, fellowship relationship with God always expresses itself in a transformed life. If we have such a relationship with God, it never leaves us unchanged. And I would suggest to you this morning that the key area where transformation is revealed is in obedience. How are we doing in that category? And my question this morning is, are we walking the talk? Two weeks ago, Pastor Pete shared some tough concerns that he sees about things creeping into the church. One of the concerns that Pastor Pete mentioned is the fact that people are sitting in the church and not living the way that they say they are. They're not walking the talk. And these concerns are not exclusive to this church alone, but the fact remains that we do see the need to teach on transformed living. And while speaking of transformation, Pastor Pete taught us about being transformed in position, transformed in posture, and transformed in practice. And it was under the being transformed in practice category where Pastor Pete made this statement. You cannot be a Christian and be disobedient to God. And then I think somewhere under that category, he said, I'm going to let Pastor Tim sort that out for you a couple weeks. (laughs) And I'm almost suspicious that that's why none of the rest of them are here this morning. (laughs) So that's what I'm going to try to do, sort this out for us this morning. The first thing I'm going to say is that I think Pastor Pete is right. You cannot be a Christian and be disobedient to God. In fact, I'm going to expand on the statement a little bit and say you cannot live a life of consistent disobedience and know that you have salvation. Disobedience is sin. In fact, it is on the level with rebellion. It is arrogance. It is rejection of both the authority of God and the Word of God. 
Now, 1 Samuel is a prized piece of Scripture that teaches us about God's view on obedience and disobedience. And there's a lot that I could say from that passage about disobedience. But I would rather discuss the topic of obedience this morning, and I want to try to approach it from a, a positive perspective as much as I can. So the scripture I settled on is 1 John, chapters 2 and chapters 5. I'm going to read some verses from both those chapters. So if you want to open up your Bibles to 1 John, chapter 2, that's where I'll be spending most of the morning. But before I begin, I want to share something from my own heart about this topic. And I want to say something about what Pastor Pete said about stepping on toes this year. And I want to do that through two verses in Hebrews. Hebrews 13.7 and Hebrews 13.17. Hebrews 13.7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, since becoming a pastor here within the church, and particularly a discipleship pastor, these verses have become heavy. They terrify me a little bit. Because the title of discipleship pastor implies that I have a responsibility in seeing that you grow as disciples of Jesus. My own life is to be an example that you may imitate and a day is coming when I'm going to be standing before the Lord and I will have to give to Him an account of how well I kept watch over your souls. Did I teach you correctly? Did my own life incorporate the principles of being a good disciple? Did I walk the talk? Did I guard you from sin? Did I correct you if I saw you in sin? Did I strengthen the flock here? Honestly, I tremble at the thought of having to report on these things to the Lord. So as your leaders, it is not a charge, or it is a charge that we are to take seriously. And the announcement that we might be stepping on toes or talking about some very difficult topics this year is not to try to impress anyone with positions of authority or to throw weight around as leaders in the church. I believe I can speak for Pastor Pete on this as well. It is an effort to watch over your souls and to be able to present you as a beautiful bride to Christ. It is out of fear of the Lord that we will be able to stand before Him on that day and say, we did not shrink back from guarding over you, from watching over you, correcting you, encouraging you, teaching you. It is for your spiritual life and benefit that we want to look at transformation this year. And I want to say, please hold me accountable as well. If there is some part of my life that does not provide a good example, if there is some part of my faith that you cannot imitate, then do me the favor of letting me know so that I may grow as a disciple of Jesus as well. That's what this family is about. That's what we are to be doing for each other. Okay? Thank you. Let's read 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 in that 
chapter, and then I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 in chapter 5. John 2, starting in verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And going to chapter 5, first three verses. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. This morning I'm going to look through, look at obedience through the same three categories that Pastor Pete used two weeks ago to discuss transformation. So why should I obey? Why does obedience matter? Because we have been transformed in position. Our passage this morning calls us children. We are born of God. We are God's children, and we are in His family. And since we are in His family, we submit to the patriarch of the family, and we follow His house rules. Now this is pretty easy to understand, nothing complex here, because hopefully most of us have grown up in households that, I hope, had some kind of framework of rules to be obeyed. We've all had fathers, mothers, or guardians who have told us what we should or should not be doing. Now we admit as children we didn't always like their rules. Sometimes we didn't understand the reasons for them. And some of us tried to get away with seeing how many of them we could break, right? And what happens generally when we get caught, we suffer some kind of discipline, didn't we? As children, we tend to see parents' rules as just a desire for us not to have any fun. Have your children said that to you, or did you say that as a child? You just don't want me to have any fun, right? This is how we often look at God's rules. As children, we fail to understand or grasp the purpose of the rules. And the fact that they are to protect us from things that our guardians know are bad for us. Why does God our Father want us to obey His commands? Because He lovingly wants us to live, to prosper, and to enjoy the blessings of His household. His commands are meant to keep us from the sin that is literally out to destroy us. So we obey because we are his children. But I want to develop this a level higher. In Luke 6:46, Jesus makes this statement. 
Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? In the church, we're willing to call him Lord. We're willing to sing to him as Lord. We're willing to pray to him as Lord. But when we go outside the doors of the church, we often forget that we have proclaimed him as Lord. What does it mean when we say he is Lord? The word Lord designates a person who has absolute, full ownership rights. It is equivalent to master. If we are professing him as Lord, we are proclaiming that he has full ownership rights over us. We have no choice but to obey. Because basically we have no rights of our own. In Matthew 7.21, Jesus makes this connection. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Let me connect these two verses for you. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Folks, this ought to terrify us a little bit. This ought to rattle us. Are we sitting here saying, Lord, Lord, not doing what he says and still expecting to enter heaven? It's a tough question. We obey because he is Lord. But I want to develop this even a little more. We live in a culture that no longer has any tolerance for authority. No tolerance for being told what to do. You're not going to tell me what to do. Those who make rules we dislike, we replace by voting them out of office. We negotiate, we question, we reason with those in authority over us. Our submission and our obedience is always on the negotiating table. This is how we have come to view authority in this country. And because we view authority this way, this is the way our children have come to view authority. We don't demand obedience from children. We negotiate it from them. And trying to get children to submit and obey takes the skills of an advanced negotiator these days, doesn't it? I've seen it. We approach God's authority with the same tactics as that of a child. Rather than obey like we should, we whine, we plead, we make excuses. We pout. We throw temper tantrums at God. We believe that God should negotiate with us. We have no respect for His authority. But Jesus is also identified as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now we're not used to living in a country where we don't have a king. But back in the days of kings and queens, would a subject have openly disobeyed a king or queen and not suffered repercussions? A king had absolute authority over his subjects. If a subject would have disobeyed, it would have been off with your head, into the dungeon with you, right? We obey because he is king of kings and lord of lords. But I hope you'll bear with me as I take this one level higher. One reason we struggle with obedience to Jesus is because we know Him as Savior, but we fail to recognize Him as God. We have become so focused on Jesus as our Savior, 
friend of sinners, the one that forgives us, our advocate, as our passage today describes, that we have an incorrect understanding of who He is. He's not our negotiator. He is God. He is the Mighty One, the Holy One, the Creator. And how we think about Jesus matters because it impacts how we think about God in whole and we cannot properly obey, worship, or submit to a God that we think incorrectly about. And this is where God stepped on my toes as I worked on this message. Because Jesus is not just my Savior, He is my God. And my lifelong duty is to love Him with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and my strength. I am to understand that He does demand perfect obedience. I am to understand that He is owed proper worship. And when I looked back at the course of my own life, I could clearly see how disobedient and rebellious I have been. I have loved the world more than I have loved Jesus. And boy, that stings. But I can praise Jesus that He is God because it's going to take a God like Him to save a sinner like me. We need to obey Him because we have been transformed into a position that demands our obedience. Why should I obey? Why does obedience matter? Because we have been transformed in posture Loving obedience becomes the evidence of transformation and salvation. Rebellion is not the evidence of transformation. Love that flows out of obedience is. Love becomes the trademark of a Christian. I really want you to catch how integrated love and obedience are. In chapter 2, verse 5 of our text today, John says... But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. Our obedience to God causes our love for God to grow and develop. Why? Because through obedience we can begin to see how much he truly does love us. John speaks of this in the same letter, 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. Now a Christian who chooses a path of disobedience to God ends up on a much more difficult and painful path because the Christian is experiencing the consequences of the sin that God is trying to protect them from while at the same time experiencing divine discipline that is meant to bring that Christian back into obedience. It is a painful and difficult path that causes them to miss out on and even doubt if God even loves them. Yes, He does, but you're not feeling it because you're suffering the consequences of sin. It is through our obedience where our love for God is developed. What is the test of our love for God? John tells us 
This is love for God, to keep His commands. Jesus confirms this in John 4.19. If you love me, keep my commandments. Love for God is found in obedience to His commandments. What are His commands? Jesus tells us in Matthew 22.37-39. Love your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. With all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Are you beginning to catch on that there is a rather circular argument going on here? How do I love God? Obey His commandments. What are His commandments? Love God and love others. How do I love God and others? Obey His commandments. Obedience flows out of a right relationship with God. Now certainly I am required to obey because of my position. But a growing, thriving, saving relationship with God teaches me about love. As I obey God, I learn about the depths of His love that He has displayed and lavished on me. His is a deep, sacrificial love. His is a love displayed through pain and tears and torture and abuse, a love that poured out everything of himself to save me. This is the example that I see, and this is the example I am expected to practice. I do not get to pick and choose whom I love and whom I do not. Peter, Paul, and James tell us this in their letters, that God has no favorites, He loves all His children the same. I need to follow that example. If I'm willing to embrace and enjoy the benefits of His love, then I in turn need to pour out the same kind of love upon all of you. It is the way of the family of God. This is why John writes, you cannot say you love God while at the same time choosing not to love those in His family. Without the display of love, you're not in the family, plain and simple. I believe we've come to run into a few problems with love and obedience because our understanding of what it means to love has become corrupted. The way the world defines godly love is creeping into the church. According to the world, you show love to me by tolerating everything about me and not offending me or hurting me by suggesting that the way I choose to live is wrong. That's becoming the new definition of Christian love as well, and it's not love at all. Praise God that He did not choose to allow me to wallow in my sins and my self-centeredness, to be destroyed by those things that He knows would harm me. Praise God that He didn't withhold from offending me by telling me that I am a sinner and teaching me that certain choices that I am making are wrong. And God forbid that I should say to you, I love you in Christ and let you be lost in sins that I know will harm you and separate you from God. God forbid that I should choose not to offend you by telling you that certain things that Scripture says certain things you are doing in your life will lead to death. 
That's not love, it's apathy. And it's essentially saying, I don't care if you go to hell or not. When we allow the world's definition of love to creep into the church, we end up becoming the church that Pastor Pete spoke about two weeks ago. That church that has a form of godliness but denies its power. We deny the power of God to truly transform lives. If I choose to obey His command to love Him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, then there is no need for Him to list out a whole bunch of other commandments that I need to follow. Yes, they are there. But because I am loving Him, I won't do those things that don't display the same kind of love that God displays for me. I hope I'm coming out clearly here. God doesn't need to tell me not to lie to you, not to steal from you, not to cheat you, not to murder you, because I, if I am loving you with the same kind of love that God loves me, I'll never do those things because God would never do them to me. If I've been transformed in posture, then my obedience to Christ shows itself in a lifestyle of sacrificial love and service to others. And I want to tell you that it's not just here within the church, but it starts in our homes. When we understand this, and when we live this way, God's commands become easy to follow. And this is why I chose to include 1 John 5.3 in our text today. God's commands are not burdensome. Why is it the psalmist can write such things as, Oh, I love your law. I delight to do your will, my God. Your law is within, written within my heart. Do we feel that way about God's love? You see, this can be another test as to whether or not you have experienced true transformation or whether or not you've been born of God. Is obeying God a delight or is it a burden? You see, it is entirely possible to claim the name of a Christian and through sheer willpower alone make force your life to conform to the patterns of God's Word, to the standards. On the outside, you can make it look like you're a Christian. But on the inside, this whole performance is a great big burden. There's no joy in the living. There's no delight found in obedience. The Christian life becomes one of ritual and task requirements that, are, that we are compelled to follow. But when we are truly born of God, we're given a new heart, a new nature, we're a new creation, and we have access to power that we don't have on our own to be able to obey the law with delight. I greatly appreciate how John MacArthur states this. The transformed believer is not enslaved to do the duty he hates. Rather, by virtue of the Spirit's work, his heart is liberated to love the law he is commanded to follow. See, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. It is still there. We are to follow it. But Jesus came to make it easy for us to follow. 
Now, I do want to recognize the fact that there are times when it can be extremely difficult to love certain people the way God expects us to love them. Sometimes obeying His command to love others is not within our capacity to do so. There's an amazing story that's been shared here before in this church about Corey Tenboom and her struggle to allow her heart to love and forgive a concentration camp guard that she came across years later. She had to ask God for the power and the strength to obey. And she tells of amazing things that God did within her heart at that moment. You see, we live this life under the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not our own. We obey Him because we have been transformed in the posture of our heart. Why should I obey? Why does obedience matter? Because we have been transformed in practice. Now some of the things I've already said help to make this clear, but I want to stress the fact that our actions are evidence of our transformation and salvation. Despite what so many others argue, Scripture does say that works must be evident for salvation. I'm going to let Scripture speak for itself here on this passage today. I'm going to go through many passages of Scripture, so bear with me. I'm going to start with our passage this morning, 1 John 2.6. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. It does not say must believe what Jesus did. It is an action. We must live the way Jesus did. James 2.17, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. James 2.26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. These verses cannot be twisted into any other meaning. 1 John 3.9, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning. Because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. You see, the desire to sin shouldn't even be in here. It should be seen as something detestable. Something that makes us unclean, unholy. Something we are to flee from. 1 Peter 1, 15-16 So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. When we become children of God, patterns of sin will de decrease and patterns of obedience will increase. This is how we can have confidence that we are children of God. This is how we can have confidence that we have salvation. Does our life exhibit patterns of sustained or increasing obedience? You never have to ask yourself if you can lose your salvation. Because if you're being obedient, no, you won't. James 1.22, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Titus 3.8, I want you to insist on these things that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent 
and profitable for people. One more verse, Titus 1.6. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. It is by our works that we proclaim or we deny God. It is by our works that we display evidence of transformation and salvation. It is not by our talk. It is by our walk. Now, I know there's probably a couple of you who are squirming a little bit because you have Ephesians 2, 8, 9 mulling around on the tip of your tongue. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of our works, so that no one may boast. And I know you can create your own list of Scripture references, particularly out of Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, that say we're justified by faith, not by works. And I want to speak into this issue. We have become so paranoid over Ephesians 2, 8-9, to that anything we do might be taken as an attempt to boast or as a work that we, through which we can say we've earned our salvation, that many have stopped doing anything, including not stopping to sin. Because we certainly don't want to trample on God's gift of grace. But this is exactly what we are doing when we interpret this verse to mean that we're not to do anything. We can agree that when we do works for the purpose of trying to gain God's favor, His love, His salvation, we are doing something futile because the Bible does make it clear that does not gain us salvation. Such actions are not evidence of a transformed mind. However, works done in obedience to God is evidence of a transformed mind that is responding to God's love and favor. I love how another pastor put it. We don't do works, we do obedience. It's a different mindset. I like that. We are transformed in practice. No longer doing works, but doing obedience. Because we have experienced God's grace, we will happily perform good works. And this is evidence of our transformation and salvation. We obey because we have been transformed in practice, doing the good works that our Father taught us to do. Are we walking the talk? We certainly do not want you to sit through this year of listening about transformation and not doing anything to pursue it. This is urgent. This is important. So I want to give you a challenge this week, and, and this challenge is for those who aren't doing anything outside of coming to church on a Sunday morning. It's for those who are struggling to follow God's example, for those who want to begin growing in being a disciple. I want to challenge you to begin doing something that will make a difference. 1 John is composed of five chapters. Take the time this week to gather together as family or as couples or even if you're single, gather, just read it yourself or gather with friends and read one chapter of 1 John 
each day. Find an easy version to read so that if children are present, they can understand it too. Do not read the King James Version. Don't read the NIV even. Find something like the NLT, the Contemporary English Version, or even the International Children's Bible. They can all be found easily online. Read the chapter and discuss it as a family. Write down questions. Jot down your thoughts. Discuss what it says. Five easy nights of family Bible study right there. And if you can't set aside the time to do this because of TV programs, phones, computer games, other activities that you have in your life, then you really need to ask yourself, how am I ever going to find the time to begin following God's example? How am I ever going to find that time to start walking the talk? So I pray that you'll take me up on this challenge this morning. Let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would forgive us for our disobedience, for our rebellion. We confess, Lord, there have been times when we have not wanted to obey you. Lord, would you forgive us? Thank you for being a God that has taught us how to live, shown us how to do it, and given us the power to do it. And Lord, would we use that power. So I pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit this week. Would you begin transforming us? And Lord, I know you've, you've done that in so much of us, but it's a continuous process. Lord, continue to change us and make us more like you. This is our prayer this morning. In your name I pray. Amen.